1986, Dmitry Davidoff developed a game to combine psychology research with his duties teaching high school students. In doing so, he could have hardly predicted a future in which it became the inspiration for a video game that helped people across the globe socialize when socializing simply wasn't possible. Davidoff's social deduction game Mafia became the inspiration for the viral hit of 2020, Among Us. Today, we're going to look at the history of the social deduction genre, starting with Mafia 1986. We'll also look at the history of Among Us and its development studio, Innersloth. So stop what you're doing, because we're calling an emergency meeting for today's trip down memory card lane. Good afternoon and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 146th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, just something relevant to gaming for this week. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about Among Us, the social deduction game that became one of the surprise successes of the gaming industry during the 2020 lockdowns due to COVID-19. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who always accuses the red guy as the imposter. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob First of all, what's Red ever done to you? Uh, I've bled a lot in my life, Dave. Fair enough. Follow-up question. Does that strategy actually ever work? Yeah, you know, like, maybe a, a fifth of the time. <laughs> well played. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Those numbers check out. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well... Uh, what have you been playing in the past week? Well, Dave, this week has seen some Rocket League, some RuneScape, uh, some more Oxygen Not Included, and some Car Mechanic Simulator. Car Mechanic Simulator. Yep. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, that's it for the week. So how about yourself? Rocket League. I haven't had time to play anything else. That's... Fair enough. You know, busy life. Life comes first. New season started. It wasn't sweaty on day number one for once, which was kind of nice. Yeah, I didn't get to play on the uh, the new season yet, so. But. We shall see. I realized that I may have wrapped up all my, like, free challenges. I completely forgot about the actual season rewards due to wins. You know, you have to play 10 wins in bronze, 10 wins in silver, 10 wins in gold, uh, so on and so forth. Yep. I only got bronze and silver. I completely forgot to keep going. Whoops. So well, that sucks. First season in a long while, I don't have gold, platter, technically diamond, I think, for nine rewards. So, Well, now you know if you want to get up there again, you got to play and win. I have to play and win. Yep. So, Rob viral hit of 
the pandemic, did you play very much Among Us? It is not a game that I got to play very much. Um, obviously, with the streamers, I was able to watch a lot of playthroughs of it. Um, I watched a lot of the streamers, learned a lot of the tricks and things. But playing it with the friend groups that I have, you have the people who are really good and the people who are really bad and get really mad when they constantly get beat. So it always fell apart very quickly uh, and just never got to play it much. So it was fun while I played it. And I didn't really like doing it. You know, I'm not really big on uh, going out and just doing with random people, which I don't know why, but I guess because you actually have to talk to people. It's not like Call of Duty or something where you can just ignore them and do your own thing. But yeah, I just I didn't get to play it, but I, I definitely watched a lot of hours of this game. Fair enough. We were the pandemic is kind of when we started playing together and it was a lot of Rocket League. Yeah. What else are we playing? At, I mean, it was a lot of Rocket League. I mean, we played other games, but Seven Days to Die, we did a bunch of that. Yeah, I qu did quite a bit of Ark during that time. Yeah. Um, Forza was another big one we did. Forza, yeah, that's true. We were so excited when Forza came out. Yeah, there were other ones. Yeah, those were the big ones. So this just like I said, we, we never had enough people to really do this one with us because... You know, it's a lot different of a game with four or five people versus having a full lobby. And, you know, like I said, with the other people that I played with, it just uh, devolved very quickly. Very, very true. So I take it you didn't have much uh, play time in this either? I don't know if I've ever played through an entire game. Well, damn, that's definitely not a lot of time. Like, I think I, I know I've played it. I don't think I've ever played an entire game, honestly. Maybe one, if that. And I was like, I don't really get it uh, done. So that's all. Yeah. Nope. This one, this one kind of escaped me. That's okay. We don't all have to play everything, right? Right. Not at all. It's it's going to be one of those rare ones where you have the experience and I don't. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. I have some. So the roots for this game, the roots that helped inspire it, go all the way back to 1986. In 1986, Dmitry Davidoff, he developed a game to combine psychology research with his duties teaching high school students. Now, the game he came up with modeled a conflict between two groups an informed minority known as the mafiosi and an uninformed majority known as the villagers at the start of each game a player is secretly assigned a role affiliated with either the mafiosi or the villagers and they basically are on a team you know there is a daytime and a nighttime in this game in the nighttime there are specific players who have powers to kill other players during the night phase and they can enact it. And then there is a day phase in which all surviving players, so those who didn't get murdered at night, debate and vote to eliminate a subject or suspect rather, right? Suspect. And basically you have to decide who's murdering people and kick them out until none of the murderers are left. That's, basically the game right 
yeah, I, that's I I know that when I played it, uh, there were also some additional rules, but at its core, that's exactly it. Yeah, if you're a villager, a win means el- eliminating all the evil mafiosi, and if you're in the mafiosi, you basically have to murder all the villagers. I mean, it's it's either A or B. It's whoever survives wins. So Davidov dates the very first game of what is now called Mafia to spring of 1987, where it was played at the psychology department of Moscow State University. Now, from there, it spread like wildfire. It spread through the classrooms. It spread through the dorms. It spread into the summer camps of the university and then people started to take it elsewhere. It became popular in other Soviet schools, other colleges, and really then it started to spread outside of the uh, Soviet Union. And it really got some notoriety when it was associated with an Italian television show, Italian, Italian television show about the mafia that was named La Piovra. Piovra? We'll go with La Piovra. Sure, Dave. So from there, it began to spread outside the Soviet Union in the 90s, and it found its way across Europe, more so across Europe, and then it jumped across the pond and found its way to the United States. In 1997, interactive fiction writer Andrew Plotkin, he's known as one of the granddaddies of the IF genre, interactive fiction, which are like interactive books that are games that you can play like choose your own adventure, but on computers basically. Ah, okay. Yeah. We've never really talked about the IF genre before at all. I just realized that anyway. Yeah, no, definitely not. Andrew Plotkin's pretty well known as an IF writer. And he basically gave the rules of mafia, a werewolf theme. His argument was that the mafia wasn't culturally relevant anymore in 1997. And that the werewolf concept really well fit the idea of a hidden enemy that looked normal during the daytime. So that that definitely makes a lot of sense when you think about it. I didn't really think about it that way, but yeah. So Hmm. now the game is known as werewolf and werewolf becomes basically a staple at all major tech events. They're playing it at the Game Developers Conference. They're playing it at E-Tech. They're playing it at all the food camps. It gets played at South by Southwest. Comic-Cons. What is a food camp? I, I, I don't know. What's a food camp? I thought you knew over here. It's a hacker event. Food camp <laughs> is an annual hacker event. Oh, okay. And we don't, we don't dabble in hacking. You and I, that's a part of computer programming I don't ever dabble in. So would have never... Uh, Never put on my radar, but yeah, pretty much anywhere that anywhere that you've got, you know, groups of people. I mean, and we know about Comic Cons. Any any time that there's a Comic Con or a conference, there's always a tabletop gaming room, and this is kind of like it. You know, this is a this is a game that gets played in a lot of those same environments. So it starts with Mafia slash Werewolf, technically the same game, just with different different uh, themes, right? Was were you having been younger at the time when Werewolf was coming out? Would you say that werewolves were culturally re- culturally relevant at the yeah. time? 
I, I, I would say that they're more culturally relevant by, than the Mafia. I mean, the Mafia had their heyday in, what, like the 50s and 60s, maybe later in the 70s, but by the... I don't know anyone that gave a crap about the, the Mafia in the 90s, and certainly not now. Um, I mean, I guess when you every... look at it from, like, the day-to-night version, like, yeah, that makes perfect sense when it comes to Werewolf, but I just... I don't know. I feel like I can't think of a time where werewolves were, like as big as something like the mafia or even vampires. But that, but you just answered your question. Okay. So 1997, you know, we can go back to the eighties with the teen wolves, but throughout the nineties, you had Buffy, the vampire slayer, which was one of the biggest science fiction television shows out there. So all these nerds are playing Buffy, the vampire slayer. And I'm pretty sure werewolves were part of that, that I, I think, I don't know. I wasn't a big Buffy fan but I'd be surprised if it wasn't. That's fair. I guess I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. I haven't really watched that either. So it's, uh, I'm not too familiar. So you're, you're probably right though. It probably did have werewolves and that's why it was culturally relevant. Um, I, I could be wrong though. I don't really know, but I think that there were, cause I know it was supernatural, like just supernatural in general. I don't think that, you know, had demons and stuff like that. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I really should have looked that up a little bit more. I'm reading now and I don't really find, I don't like see anything. I don't see anything easy that could say, oh yeah, they had werewolves, but I'm sure there were, there were, there were plenty of these movies and game and shows that were like that Buffy and charmed. And I don't know when did supernatural start? That would have been the mid two thousands. That would have been much. Yeah, definitely not, not, not supernatural. I know that much. I'm trying to think of charmed head anywhere. I'm sure it did. It had to have, but I don't know. I was just, just a curious thought. I don't know. Werewolf is a seemingly good thing, but legit. I think he's got a, 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 a more valid point. I think he's got a valid point. I think the mafia were really past their heyday. And then you go, okay, well, what, what else would be cool that we can plug in there? And I, I mean, I think you're right. in that I, werewolves make a whole lot more sense. Fair enough. So where'd we go from there? Anyways, anyways, anyways. So werewolf is being played. And so you have these social deduction games that people are playing, uh, you know, mostly by word of mouth. And whenever you have games like that, it's only a matter of time before people start to pick up on it and then decide that they want to create their own twist on these games in the same space. So as time went on, you had other companies and designers that wanted to create their own social deduction games. So the werewolf theme was used a couple times. There was a card game published in 2001 called The Werewolves of Miller's Howl. Hollow. Hollow. How low can you go? <laughs> yes. In 2008, there was a card game that was pretty much modeled right after this uh, called Ultimate Werewolf. It pretty much took Werewolf and made it into a card game. And they, they made a little bit of a spin on it in 2017 with a board game called Were Words. Were Words which is kind of goofy. Um, what What's where words? What is where words? I knew you were going to ask me that, and I don't really know <laughs> whatsoever. Oh, man. It's a board game. Players guess a secret word by asking questions. There are different roles randomly assigned at the start of play. Villagers try to find out the magic word before the time is up. 
while the werewolves are trying to mislead them. Sounds interesting. Yeah, let's see. In werewolves, players receive their secret rules, villagers are werewolves. Then the players ask questions to the mayor in order to guess the secret word before time is up. The werewolves try to misguide the other players in their quest for the magic word. If the villagers don't guess the word in time, they can still win by identifying the werewolf. To help the villagers out, one player is a seer who knows the word but must not be too obvious when helping them figure it out. If the word is guessed, the werewolf can pull out a win by identifying the seer. Well, there you go. There you go. It's werewolf with words. It's werewolf, yes. Werewolf with words, indeed. Then there were other... There were other... Sorry, lost my train of thought. There were other genres. People wanted to play it in other genres because now we have mafia and we have werewolves, right? But it's kind of the same thing. So people kept trying their luck at other other landscapes, other environments to play this game in. So in 2002, Emiliano Sierra tried his shot at a spaghetti western-themed card game in the social deduction space that was called Bang. That was it. What what is spaghetti western? What's spaghetti western? I've I've heard western, but I've never heard spaghetti western. What's what's so spaghetti about it? It was noodly, wibbly wobbly. That's kind of what I'm feeling like here. Yeah. So spaghetti westerns were western films that were produced in Europe and not here in the United States. They, I mean, the guy who pretty much pioneered spaghetti westerns was Sergio Leone, who's amazing filmmaker, absolutely amazing filmmaker. But most of them were. Most of them were produced and directed by Italians, and so it was called Spaghetti. That yeah, Spaghetti Westerns. All right, that makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> what was so spaghetti about them? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man, they, 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 they published, they published westerns in the context of a like they, they have a different culture right like people in europe look at things differently and, and so like when you publish it even if you're trying to model like a quote-unquote western it's going to be different because you come back from a different sensitivity so spaghetti westerns are well known for just being different in various ways to traditional u.s westerns I mean, and there are some really well-known ones. Clint Eastwood wasn't a man of no, a man with no face. He is the man with no face in a fistful of dollars. Sorry, have to draw back on film knowledge, which I don't do a lot of. Fistful of Dollars was a Sergio Leone film from the 60s that Clint Eastwood was in. So there's some, I mean, it wasn't like films that were over there that were like nobody knew or anything like. I mean, you have Clint Eastwood. There's some pretty big names. Yeah, I mean, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> it's yeah, a, it's yeah. a pretty damn big name. Yeah, and and that was, I mean, that one right there was the one. Like, I think that, I think that if you go back and you look up spaghetti westerns, I think you'll, I think you'll find that the fistful of dollars like was the one that kind of brought that to the mainstream, and then spaghetti westerns got, kind of, kind of became, kind of became a thing. But if you've never caught, uh, if you've never caught that. That is a great, that is a great, that's a great one. 
That's a, a fistful of dollars. That's a trilogy, actually, called the Dollars Trilogy. It's a fistful of dollars for a few dollars more. And then the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is phenomenal, too. That's freaking epic. That's that's a good one right there. Yeah, Spaghetti Westerns. Got got a little bit of a, a whatchamacallit. But Bang is a Spaghetti Western social deduction game. And, like, it changes the players into, like, sheriff, deputy, outlaws, and renegades. So, like, the outlaws are out to kill the sheriff. The sheriff and the deputies have to kill the outlaws and the renegades and so on and so forth. And so it plays like Mafia, just with different titles, you know? Yeah, makes sense. Uh, um, in 2010, Don Eskridge published a card game that involves a war between the government and resistance groups. He kept it simple. He called it The Resistance. Pretty cool simple classy fun little fact there is a variation uh, official variation out there of the resistance and interestingly enough because we covered that recently it has a king arthur theme they Ooh, call the wow. variant the avalon variant so there's assassins there's mordred there's percival there's morgana we did an episode recently on video on um, Arthurian legend and video games that uh, video games that showed Arthurian legend. So if you don't know anything about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, I would invite you to go back to our website at www.memorycardlane.com, click on our archives episodes tab, and check for that old episode to learn about it because it's kind of cool. And Avalon is the, the the realm in which it all took place. So the Avalon variant of the Resistance. And there's some really weird... I was looking at the social deduction game genre as a whole for board and card games. And there's some really weird ones that are out there, to be absolutely honest with you. There is a... 2012 Saiji Kanai published a card game called Love Letter. And what Love Letter is is love letter is a game in which each player aims to deliver a love letter to the princess with the assistance of relatives and acquaintances. So, and it has like, it's kind of weird because like there is like Kings and Queens and, and countesses, like the King can trade hands with another player and there's a priest that can privately see other players hands there's a prince that can choose any player to discard their hand and draw a new one. So you had all these roles and the people had different skills and you basically would, you know, utilize all these different people to try to, to try to get this uh, love letter to the princess and win the game. That's interesting. It is, isn't it? I mean, it's different, you know, 2014, there was a game called Spyfall which basically is a, it also has a superhero themed game, superhero spy fall, same thing, various players. There's a spy. People have to try to lure the spy out without giving too much, too much information. So the whole point of the game is to locate the spy. There's a, a, a free to play online version of the game somewhere. Wink, wink, spy fall. And then there's one that I am interested in. Uh, I had to think about how I said it. <laughs> In 2016, Goat Wolf and Cabbage 
published a game called Secret Hitler, in which players assume the roles of liberals or fascists in the Reichstag of the Weimar Republic, and one player becomes Hitler himself. I know of this one because one of the creators of Secret Hitler is one of the creators of Cards Against Humanity, which is, I mean, I'd be surprised if you don't know Cards Against Humanity. That's like the party game card game favorite of everyone everywhere. Unless you yeah, don't a little like, bit. unless you don't like uh, vulgarity, I guess if you're like a Jesus per- clean Jesus person, you don't play Cards Against Humanity. So, yeah, probably not. That would be a very bad idea. But yeah, so there's Secret Hitler and Secret Hitler is phenomenal. There's some I mean, there's other ones. There's not a lot of social deduction games, but there's ones we didn't cover. There's one called Coup. There's one called A Fake Artist Goes to New York. Two Rooms in a Boom. Witch Hunt, Crossfire, Dracula's Feast, The Chameleon. Uh, one came out last year that I couldn't find terribly much information of. Um, I also didn't dig that far, but Blood on the Clock Tower. So, um, yeah. So there are games. If you'd like to play it the old style, which is either in person or later on by cards, lots of options, lots of interesting options. Bing sounds op- uh, interesting for sure. Um, and then Secret Hitler's Goofy. I think that one's a lot of fun. I've, I've played that once. So, But of course, when we make games, we've learned time and time again that a game in person turns into a board game, card game, or in some cases a tabletop game. And then eventually those get turned into video games, right? Right. And so this is realistically no different. Um, The concept of a social deduction game in video games can be traced all the way back to 2003, where it's found in as early as we know in a game called Space Station 13. Have you ever played that, Rob? No. So Space Station 13 is obviously set on a futuristic space station. I think oh, the, the, is, that, it, is, is it in the year 13? That's a great question. No, because that wouldn't be in the future. I mean, who knows 13 after what? That's Maybe it's true. 13 years after the fall of humanity. Maybe it is. Well, then why would we? Uh, I don't know. Because we're on a space station. We are. We're on a futuristic those who got space away. station. And the location of said futuristic space station can differ depending on there's different servers and there's space stations, Starcraft, there's space stations on planets. So I guess your scenery varies. Um, and basically there is a space station full of people and all these people have different roles. Um, at the start of each round, you're given various roles. Your role can either be to help the team out or there are roles specifically designed to hinder the team's progress uh their roles like do you want to be in security and in charge of keeping peace do you want to be in engineering whereas you're in charge of keeping the ship space station running occasionally though you can be one of the random players that are selected to spawn as an antagonist antagonists are given various malicious objectives that when done correctly can just side rail everything, you know, shut the, the security system down, shut the engine down, shut the oxygen system down. They're just various things that you can do to wreck the ship 
And then everything just kind of devolves into chaos if you do your job right as an antagonist. And while this isn't like exactly what this genre is now in terms of like um, Among Us has imposters, you know, that actively seek to ruin things and you have to decide who they are. You really didn't have to decide who they were in, in that one. You just you were either working for the team or against the team. And let's be honest, every video game is like that nowadays, team based or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can have you you we can play Rocket League and have people working against a team as an antagonist. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah, quite, quite definitely. <laughs> so but after 2003 and the Space Station 13, the concept of a social deduction game really was left alone for for many, many years. We didn't see it again roughly until 2009. 2009, there was a modification of Gary's Mod. For those of you that don't know what Gary's Mod, Gary's Mod was a sandbox game, and people would um, people would just ter- make various game modes in Gary's Mod. You, you played with Gary's Mod, didn't you? Yeah, I played it. What What did you like to play in in um, What did you like to play in in it? I've I've never dabbled in it, so uh, a lot of prop hunt. Uh, prop hunt was a lot of fun. Um, but it was also there were a lot of servers that were skinned different things. Like I didn't do a whole lot of it, but one of them was like a Star Wars skinned like role playing server. Mm-hmm. Um, went in there just to check it out, see what it was like, and you know people were weird and just I don't know. I didn't vibe with them, so I didn't stick around. But it was cool seeing the skin, being able to walk through a uh, a cruiser dressed up as some of the uh, people from Star Wars. So without playing a Star Wars game, just in Gary's mod. Right. So, uh, but yeah, mostly prop hunt was what I did with it. Gotcha. So in late 2009, Face Punch Studios, which is the studio responsible for Gary's mod, they launched something called the uh, Fredic Contest. It was a competition in which people were slated to develop different game modes for Gary's mod using the Freda programming network, which was like their you know, their programming framework that, that, that Facebunch had designed. And basically the winner of that contest slash was creating this game mode and the, the winning game mode, the favorite game mode would be added to the base game. And the winner of said contest was a game mode called trouble in terrorist town. And that was added to the game in July of 2010. Now trouble in terrorist town assigns players to three groups. You're either a traitor a detective or an innocent detectives are known to all players traitors are known only to other traitors are they they appear to others as innocents and the the goal was for traitors to eliminate all other players um including the innocents and the detectives well the innocents and detectives have to kind of work together to figure out who the hell the traitors are and and eliminate all of them themselves so and so it plays like mafia Trouble in Terrorist Town, 2009, Gary's Mod. Mod? Is that how you would say it, Rob? Um, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know what else you would call it. Gary's Mod. Mod? Gary's Mod Squared. Maybe. Uh, in 2013, there was a free-to-play b- br- browser multiplayer game called Mush. In the game, there is an alien entity, which is called Mush. He takes over one of 16 people on a spaceship. And the other players have to uncover the identity of 
the mush. And I mean, these other people have different roles. Like there's a chef, there's a pilot, there's a scientist. They have to do tasks on the ship. Sound familiar? No. And then they have to work together to get all these all these tasks done. And they have to, uh, whereas the mush has to eliminate all the other players one by one before he gets identified. So there you go. You had mush. We got something a little different 2014. In 2014, there was an online multiplayer game, and I have played this one. This is probably the only game in this genre I have some substantial time with. And we're talking like 10 hours or less, but I've played my share of this. There's a social deduction game called Town of Salem. You ever played Town of Salem before? Negative, Dave. So this is the same concept of, you know, the mafia, informed minority and uninformed majority. And um, basically, you can be a townsperson, you can be part of the mafia, or you can be neutral. Uh, the mafia's goal is to kill all the town people. The town's goal is to find and eliminate the mafia before they do so. If you were a neutral person, neutrals had specific roles that had specific goals. Um, sometimes those goals would monkey with the mafia. Sometimes those goals would monkey with the town people. If you were a neutral, you just, uh, if, if you were monkeyed neutral, around, you monkeyed around. Yeah. And it had a day and a night cycle. The roles, they had unique abilities, you know, um, that you could use at night. So I don't remember them off the top of my head, but like there was a role that could protect, you could select one player and protect them. So if the mafia tried to kill them that night, they would not be killed. You'd spare them. Um, there was one role that you could that, pick one per. I would say that's familiar. Like when I said I played r- different rules with mafia, that was one of the ones that I remember. Gotcha. So maybe it was based off of that. Well, what's fun? What what I liked about this one was you know you kill during the night, and then at the end of the night you you know everyone finds out who's still alive, and if you died, you got to write a will. So you could write a note. Like it, it because some, so for instance, there was another role that would learn the identity of one person each night. Like you could find out if they were a mafiosi or if they were a townsperson, but you couldn't really talk during the game. Right. So mm-hmm. you could identify the person. And then if you got murdered, you could leave that in your will to say, Hey, so-and-so's mafia. And then, you know, the townspeople could, could eliminate you know, them and so on and so forth. So, there were just different ways. It was fun. Like I said, I have time to say it. I have it. I mean, I have it. It's a, it's a, it's a PC game. So I think it was free to play at one point and then not. Maybe it's always free to play. Well, now there's a sequel. April uh, Steam Early Access, May 26, 2023. So, fuck, that was a couple weeks ago, huh? Uh, Yeah. Oh, damn. So only a couple weeks ago, they released a sequel to it called Town of Salem 2. Town of Salem 2 is an online multiplayer game with social deduction and strategy elements. It is exclusively on Steam. It contains largely similar gameplay to its predecessor with some changes, notably the removal of the Mafia faction. So what what is it? The major change in removal of the Mafia faction. Instead... Its roles from the previous game were reincorporated to new and existing roles in the Coven faction. So now there's a Coven. But the win conditions remain the same. The Coven's goal is to kill all non-Coven. The Town's goal is to eliminate the evil roles. 
where the neutral roles have their own win condition, which may or may not conflict with other teams. Same thing. Well, damn. I just, I, I guess Mafia became not culturally relevant, and witches did, <laughs> which makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so, so Town of Salem. Now, in the midst of all of this, and, you know, um, as these board games and these other genres are being made, somewhere during this time period, Marcus Bromander, Forrest Willard, and Amy Liu were all students at Oregon State University where they met. After graduation, they kind of all went their separate ways. Willard and Bromander kept in touch. They all kept in touch, let's be honest. But they were always kind of fond of video game development, but in different ways. And after talking, they kind of discovered that their video game development skills could help each other. So Bromander had actually been making content on Newgrounds since about 2007. You were a Newgrounds fan, were you not, Rob? I played a few games on Newgrounds, yeah. Did you watch videos on it? That's what I remember it as more than a video game site. I guess I did both. I guess there were some games that might have been developed by Newgrounds Studios, not I'm thinking about it. Um, Yeah, no, definitely uh, watched some videos on there. There was like the early YouTube, like before YouTube. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's how I remember it. So when Flash videos were becoming a thing and the genre that we now know, I mean, we it, it's Machinima, you know, when, when video game, you know, animation and video, the video games you know, as animation, when those were a thing, we just call them videos now, but back then it was a, it was a new genre. It was brand new. Newgrounds, Newgrounds was a website still exists. It was the place, like the only place really to get these flash videos and then flash video games. Like it was the place. It was huge. So Bromander was a, he was a, he was known on Newgrounds as Puffballs United. Oh. Yeah, Puffballs United. That is quite the name. Yep. And as Puffballs United, he had been producing videos on there, and he, through through the videos, he refined his design skills, and he refined his artwork skills. Willard, on the other hand, had a computer programming background and managed to snag a job at Microsoft after graduating college, but it wasn't really what he wanted to do. Um, and, you know, he enjoyed game development, probably as a hobby, doing things here and there. And like I said, he kept together with Bromander. And after some time, they wanted to do something different. They wanted to do video game development. So they decided to form a joint venture together. And in 2015, they formed Innersloth, Innersloth as a privately held company. Shortly after its founding, they hired a third of the core Innersloth team, Amy Liu. She was hired as an artist and they get to work on a project. Now, I will say from there, they are a studio that works remotely. Uh, even to this day, they don't really have a physical location that i'm aware of maybe they do now because they're bigger but it still says that their primary method is a remote development so they do all this online together and everything and so 2015 they make a company and later that year they release their first game called dig to china dig to china 
is a mobile app video game in which players are able to dig to Asia using an excavator. Basically, you dig, you get money from stuff that you find while digging with your excavator. You use it to upgrade your excavator, which lets you dig further and faster, and you just keep repeating this cycle over and over and over until you come out the other side. It is um, addictive. I downloaded it and played it for too long. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I know. So they did. They developed Dig to China. It's uh, There's a free version or you, there's a 99 cent version if you want to try Interslaw's first game. But after that, the team tried to put together another game and they couldn't. They failed and they failed and they failed. Their history notes that they had multiple projects that they failed for various reasons. It's not all, it's not all smart. Doesn't, doesn't you all, you don't come up smelling like roses every time, ladies and gentlemen. I suppose so, Dave. <laughs> yeah. All right. So then Marcus Bromander has an idea. He played mafia quite a bit as a kid, uh, still played it actually when he went to events and stuff like everyone else. So he wanted to make a game that was inspired by mafia. And it also drew, inspiration from the science fiction horror film the thing rob have you ever seen the thing before and i'm not saying uh, you're not your thing the thing ha, 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 ha. uh yeah no he was uh he was in fantastic four i i don't have something because i didn't expect that so that's a good one for those of you who don't know the thing was a 1982 science fiction film directed by john carpenter John Carpenter, of course, is like the master of horror film, but he did science fiction too, and here is one of them. It's based on a uh, novella, 1938 novella, John W. Campbell Jr. The novella is called Who Goes There? And it tells you the story of uh, American researchers in the Antarctica who encounter the thing, which is an extraterrestrial life form that assimilates, imitates them, basically. It, it, it can assimilate and then imitate other organisms. So it's a copycat. Eats you and then looks like you. And this group is gripped by fear, overcome by paranoia. They start to turn on each other because they don't feel like they can trust each other because any one of them could be the thing. It's a great movie. It stars Kurt Russell. There's a few other notable people. There's a lot of notable people in it. A lot of notable people from the 80s. A few people few people's relevance lasted beyond that keith david's uh, in it he is still relevant uh still does voices and video games actually and wolford brimley mr diabetes himself is also in the movie mr diabetes i'm sure before yeah isn't wolford brimley diabetes guy from family guy um maybe it was initially a flop the thing was initially a flop but like a lot of cult classics of which this is gained popularity when it was released for vhs and dvd and television nowadays it's kind of known or recognized as being one of the best science fiction horror movies ever made so it just took people time to warm up to it didn't help that the summer it came out where there was a lot of like feel good alien movies like et was one of the other movies that came out that summer so comparatively you know you have all these cute alien movies with kids and 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 hey we want to be good and and be friends with mankind and then you have the thing which is an alien that's like really dark and ominous and like you know it's no wonder people didn't like it but bromander liked it 
loved it actually and decided to take it in as inspiration for their next game so using mafia and the thing as inspiration they design a game in which you're given cards the cards have your function on them and they your delta function and you wander around a house aimlessly with your function where one of the players is secretly killing other players by drawing a finger around their neck and that was that was the first version of their new game um Hmm. but they thought it was boring the thought of someone wandering around aimlessly around a house doesn't do much for anyone no they took that concept and they said hey we need a more interesting environment to wander aimlessly around and they decided that that would be a space themed environment hence the thing uh alien extraterrestrial and they added tasks so you weren't just wandering around aimlessly you had things to do with this idea in mind, they started development on the core of the game, which started out in November of 2017, and, and frankly, it just evolved as they went through it. They had only intended to make a mobile-only multiplayer game with a single map, but as they began to develop the game, they thought that something was there, so they pooled their resources. You see, at the time, Intersloth was working on another game, and that was called the Henry Stickman Collection which is to date the only other game that Intersloth has has put out, actually. But they knew that this game was going to be something, so they paused development on Henry Stickman, and they brought all the employees together to help on uh, this project. And collectively, they all built out Among Us's first map, which is called the Skeed. Is that how you say it, or Skied? Do you know which it is? Um, It's not Skeld. Isn't it an L? Is it Skeld? It might be Skeld. It's skilled. You're correct. Sorry. That's an L. I can't read my own my own thing. I actually have it as an I, so I mistyped. So when they first built the Skeld, the ship was always in crisis. The imposters were assigned tasks as well. Uh, but as they tested this concept out, they found that this was incredibly stressful and the, and found that it really didn't give anyone any time to be a detective, to have conversations like informed player meeting conversations so you could decide who the imposter ended up being that defeated the purpose of the game you know yeah um so they changed that the ship wasn't always in crisis it was only partially in crisis and they along with eight of them eight of them built out the you know they they build design part of the game put a build on it and they'd send that build out. They made this game in unity engine little by little. So they build the game. They send the builds out um, throughout development. The builds would constantly crash on themselves. So the team, you know, the testers would say, Hey, we can't even play this. The team would send it back to them. They'd fix the bug and then push the build back out to the play testers. Um, as they were playing, as they were building it, they actually had the game. And this also stayed the name of it when they first published it. But the app ID on Unity and on the iOS slash Android store when they first released the game was Space Mafia. So we know that it was directly uh, that to the, to Intersloth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And originally the game was local multiplayer only. Like you could only play it in the same area, same network with people. It had no online multiplayer. And because of that, the original game also had no audio. Because they felt that when you played the game in the same area, 
audio would reveal hidden information to people playing around you. So no audio and local multiplayer. And that's how the game was released in June of 2018 as a local multiplayer iOS and Android game with no audio. Wow. That's... Right? Not what you expected. <laughs> I, not at all. No, I never would have guessed that. So June of 2018, it gets released. It doesn't really do much. Uh, in hindsight, the team admits they marketed it something awful. That's the one thing they're not good at. They're artists and programmers, but they're not marketing people. So they didn't market it at all. Um, right off the bat, it only had about 30 to 50 people playing concurrently at one time, which is really funny to think about in hindsight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 50 people worldwide playing this game. That's uh, yeah, that changed. quite the number. That changed, huh? A little bit, yeah. And it stayed this way for a long while. It had this small user base, and the team genuinely thought about walking away from this project to focus on the other projects. But that small user base were some very fervent fans that were really vocal about how much they loved the game and what they wanted from it. So a couple of them, you know, while the others went on to the Henry Stickman collection, a couple of them stayed back and they continued to work on the game. They coded in online multiplayer. They coded in more tasks and they worked on uh, cosmetic options. Uh, Yeah. And in November of 2018, they released it on Steam. By the time they did that, they designed it so the game had cross-platform play. So if you were on mobile or on Steam, you could play with one another. They also added sound at this point, because now with online multiplayer, it eliminates the original idea that it ruins the game. So now now there is uh, sound. Um, and that's what they did. A little bit later in August of 2019, the second map, Mara HQ, comes out. In November of 2019, the third map, um, what's the third map? The Polis, the planet, the Polis yep. comes out. And then um, the fourth map, uh, the airship, comes out in March of 2021 in its heyday. And we'll talk about that momentarily. So, Rob, what would you say, like, how would you describe the gameplay of Among Us to the listeners? Well, Dave, basically you have a group of what are called crewmates. Okay. And uh, there's however many number of crewmates and there's then two imposters who look exactly like the crewmates. And all of you look like these space suit thing blobs with some hands or not even hands. Uh, really, they're not when they're in the normal. Um, anyway, so you have crewmates and imposters. And with the, crypt, the ship in crisis, the crewmates have to go around and perform tasks to save the ship while the imposters have to go around and kill them. So as the crewmates are going around performing these tasks, the imposters have the ability to get around the ship quickly by venting through the ship's vent systems. They can sabotage certain items on the ship to make the crewmates have to go and fix them. They can turn off lights, lock doors, so that you can trap someone. So, you know find a way to get them by themselves and hope no one's buddied up with someone else. You can kill one and get away. Or, you know, you, you go and you kill someone next to someone else and you immediately report the body and you say, hey, 
I just watched this guy kill him. And then ever you got to convince everyone that you aren't the person that did it. And it was the person who was just innocently standing there. Um, the wind conditions are the kind of the same. If the crewmates are able to complete all of the tasks without the imposters killing a majority, then the crewmates win. But if the imposters, I believe it's either equal or ex- I believe it's equal the amount of crewmates, then it's game over and the imposters win. That's very true. That is very, uh, very true. That it is. Uh, there's different ta- the different tasks the crewmates can do could be uh, their little mini games or puzzles. Um, sometimes tracing, putting two wires together or doing some toggle switches or having to pull like a card out of a wallet and swipe it, uh, pull a lever to deposit some space debris into space, um, fill some engines, shoot down some uh, asteroids. So um, a lot of different things that you can do through there. Um, And, you know, the imposters have to just make it look like they're doing tasks and find some people to kill and try to win. Yep. Yep. And it may have only uh, it may have only originally had a player base of 30 to 50 people, but that changed a lot. It changed a lot, a lot. So during the pandemic, during the lockdowns, in about July of 2020, the Twitch streamer Soda Poppin started started streaming Among Us on Twitch. And others started to follow suit. Suddenly anyone that was anyone on Twitch or other streaming networks were streaming Among Us. And it became the thing because we were all stuck in our houses and this was a good way to socialize when we weren't allowed to socialize because of social distancing. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. Um, And just to put it into perspective, when this game came out in 2018, we said it had 30 to 50 concurrent users. In September of 2020... That player count rose to 1.5 million concurrent users. Wow. And then peaked at 3.8 million concurrent users in late September. Well, damn. From 30 to 50 people playing it at one time in 2018 to 3.8 million people playing it at one time in September of 2020. Well, I'm sure it really makes the uh, the creators happy that they had a few people who stayed and worked on it. Because uh, that could have... <laughs> You know, they were going to walk away and then like somewhere in 2020, they said, hey, we're going to make a sequel to this Among Us 2. And they started to work on that. But then as these numbers started to start to shoot up, they said, you know what? People were playing this game. Maybe we should focus on making this as good as we possibly can. So they canceled Among Us 2 and started working on adding adding stuff to this game i mean so there is stuff that they've added there are specialized roles now like uh you could be an engineer engineers can go and vents like imposters uh to a certain limited capacity scientists can check vitals to see how recently a player has been killed um so they added some specialized roles they had a lot of cosmetic stuff obviously they added the fourth map after that because we said it was 2021 so the airship and they've just worked on it in general. They've they've worked on the game. We also got a VR version of the game last year, wasn't it? In 2022? Yeah, November of 2022, Among Us VR. 
So they took the whole game and they turned it into a virtual reality version. So now we have Among Us VR. So that's kind of what Intersloth has done. They sense this. You know, usually we have these games with these long legacies, long histories uh, afterwards, but we really haven't given them any time. They made a little China digging game and failed a bunch of stuff. Then they hit it big with Among Us and they really haven't had any time to step away from Among Us. I mean, I know it's probably not, there's not 3.8 million people playing it anymore, but people are still playing Among Us and they're they're providing support for their own game. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. So, and what are some other things that Among Us did? Sus, it popularized the word sus. <laughs> so, yep, that it did. I can't think of a whole lot of other stuff that it did, but, uh, you know, no, it's definitely a, a it, it had popular that, game. It had that weird chicken nugget thing. Someone had a chicken nugget that was shaped like the uh, shaped like one of the one of the crew members in Among Us, and they sold it on eBay for like fifty bucks as a joke, and it ended up winning, going for like a hundred thousand dollars. What the hell? That's that's it. That's it's, insane. It's now in the world, the Guinness Book of World Records, as the chick, most expensive chicken nugget sold at an online auction. The exact amount was ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety seven dollars. So wow, and then. And then people were twisting it because they're like, that's just a front for child sex trafficking. That's why I remember it. Because they're all like, they're like, it's not really chicken nugget. It, they're selling children. And that's just a front for selling children. And it was just ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, that's it. That's Among Us. Crazy, huh? That, it, it definitely was a crazy time. Well, I mean, the social deduction genre has been around for a long time. And the team at Intersloth was in the right place at the right time using the social deduction space in the right way. And they struck it big. It's fun to, it's fun to see stories like that sometimes, you know? No, absolutely. It is. Uh, were there any other Intersloth games or game ideas that they may have had that, uh, didn't come to fruition? Oh, the game mode The get you told me about, you told me about the poop mode. <laughs> what's the, poop? Uh, what's the poop mode? Uh, are you referring to Poop Week? Yeah, tell me about Poop Week. Well, that was a note that uh, was posted in Intersloth's Twitter, um, and it was a gift from the Game Development Ideas Archive. Okay. So the pitch of this game was that it was a button mash poop race in which one clicks to run to the bathroom while leaving a poop streak. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's so dumb it could work. Uh, yeah, you know, it really could. And that's the terrifying thing is it could absolutely work. I love it. Poopweek.txt from January 7th, 2018. <laughs> the pitch. The pitch. A button mash poop race? <laughs> it's so dumb. I like how they threw it out there, though. A gift from our game development archives. Poopweek.txt. <laughs> it's dumb. Yep, just a text doc that says that. Oh, brother. Oh, man. Anyway, that, my friends, is Among Us. It is one of many games that we've covered. If you would like to check this episode or any other episode out, you can do so whenever you want by going to our website at www.memorycardlane.com. And also at our website, Rob, what else can people find or do or anything like that? Well, Dave, as you previously mentioned, 
There you can find a calendar with our archives of previous episodes that we've done. Also on the calendar can be found future episodes. So if you want to drop some comments or some little tidbits of information that you may know about those games, you're more than welcome to put them there. You can find links to things such as some, you know, little blurbs about Dave and I and uh, links to our Discord where you can come hang out with Dave and I, maybe do some gaming and get some firsthand experience on what it's like hanging out with the cool brothers. Uh, and there's links to our social media. I can be found on various platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave. I am David is wrong. And on that note, each week, ladies and gentlemen, we tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. While we teach you about the topic, we hope to teach you something new about it. We hope that you'll take away something from its inspiration that it may have took from the world, or we hope that you'll learn something about its legacy, which is what it gave back to the world. As we do our research, we learn. And as we sit down and we tell you these stories week in and week out, we teach these things to you. So it's a constant cycle of learning. We teach, we learn, we learn, we teach. It's great. As our show of our commitment to said cycle we like to go through each week and talk about what we learned, our takeaways. And Rob, we're going to start with you as always. What did you learn today? Um, I Honestly, I learned a lot about the start of the social deduction genre. I knew some things, but like the fact that Mafia actually came from um, Russia, uh, Moscow University, that's pretty cool. And then to know that... After that, that it was werewolves. Um, that's another cool change. And just like I, this wasn't a video game genre that I was really in under like now. I was not knowledgeable about up until Among Us. So just I'm surprised at the number of games there were. And some of them actually sound kind of interesting. So, uh, I mean, this one was just basically just learning about the entire genre. That's my biggest takeaway. There's a lot more to it than I thought. But yeah. Very true. There's a lot more of it than thought. What about yourself? What's your big uh, takeaway there, Dave? I never even thought about the same stuff. Never even thought about Mafia. Never considered that there were other games in here. My whole experience with this genre is Town of Salem, but I never put much thought into where that came from. Definitely never put any thought into Among Us because I've never played it. So it was interesting learning about Inner Sloth and how they just failed, failed, failed until they, I, I mean, literally like, tripped on a big success i mean big huge success you know what i mean yeah oh yeah it was pretty big there yeah and i mean obviously the other big takeaway dave poop week poop week can't ever pass on poop week can't ever pass on poop week well rob before i take it into next week is there anything else that you would like to add to today's episode Well, Dave, as always, I do want to take one quick moment to say thank you so much to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoy and we hope you continue to listen. That's that's it. That's it. Thank you. That's everything. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be learning about a first person shooter with stealth elements, adventure elements and role playing elements. It is Mm. unique and known for the fact that it allows you to complete its missions that you are given in a variety of ways, depending on how you build your character, you can be stealthy. You can go in loud. um, You can go in using a technological standpoint. There are a lot of different ways you can complete each task. And that made it a very unique first person shooter. 
released in the year 2000, uh, developed by Ion Storm, published by Eidos Interactive. Deus Ex is a cyberpunk-themed first-person shooter set in the year 2052. And we're going to learn all about it. So sit down and listen as we tell you all about nanotechnology on next week's trip down memory card lane to the thing. Do be do da ba 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 da 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 